0: Well, with today being Palm Sunday, the day when we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as he made his way to the cross of Calvary to atone for our sins, as as we enter into this Palm Sunday, we're going to take a break from our current series in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to examine the story of Jesus' triumphal entry from the perspective of his beloved disciple John. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your devices to John chapter 12, and we're going to be reading verses 12 through 19, and I'd actually like to begin this morning by by reading the passage, and today we'll take a little bit of a a different shape uh, than than our usual, um, my usual messages, I suppose. Uh, I don't really have an outline to follow. We're going to read the text, we're going to investigate and consider the text, and then apply the text. Um, that'll be kind of the, the, the overarching outline, I suppose. So I'd invite you to follow along as I read. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. We're going to jump right into it. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for riding into Jerusalem to be lifted up, not on a throne, but on a cross. Thank you. Indeed, our King has come, and indeed, our King is coming again. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts to receive and to understand and to apply this passage of your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 When my family and I first moved to Worcester, we had heard about but had never experienced for ourselves the phenomena that is called the Wayne County Fair, right? I mean, whoa. During the Wayne County Fair, the city of Worcester like doubles in size with out-of-towners and RVs and all the foot traffic and commotion that follows. It's it's a really big deal. I mean, people like Wisterians are like, yeah, the Wayne County Fair, it's a big, no, what they need, it's a big deal. Like, it's a big deal. And I say that because that's how we might picture the city of Jerusalem in our passage. It's the week of the Passover celebration and upwards of two million Jews are making their way to Jerusalem from all over the map in order That they would remember and celebrate that night long ago when God's wrath passed over their ancestors in Egypt. Remember with me, about 2,000 years prior to our passage, the people of Israel had been enslaved to and oppressed by the nation of Egypt. And on the night of their miraculous deliverance, God's miraculous deliverance of them, on that night in Exodus chapter 12, God instructed Moses and all the families of Israel to sacrifice a spotless lamb and to paint its blood over the doorways of their houses. And that night when God poured his wrath out upon all the inhabitants of Egypt, He did not pour out his wrath upon those who were under the blood of the Lamb. His wrath not only passed over them, he delivered them from captivity that very night. And so, in order for the Israelites, in order that they would never forget God's gracious deliverance of them, God commanded them to keep the feast of the Passover. On the 14th day, Of the first month of each year, every family of Israel was to sacrifice a spotless lamb and roast it over the fire and eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread, just as their ancestors had done the night of the Exodus. So now in our passage right here, John chapter 12, that very Passover feast is days away. And with millions of Jews entering Jerusalem and with hundreds of thousands of lambs being carted into the city, the true and better and final spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world begins to make his entry into Jerusalem. The whole purpose for his coming to earth is about to unfold. It's Holy Week. I appreciate how the Apostle John admits in verse 16 that none of the disciples fully understood what was going on. None of them fully understood the significance of this moment. You see, from from the perspective of Jesus' disciples, his raising of Lazarus a few days prior, and the time they spent in Bethany, in the the town of Bethany with Mary and Martha the day before, it really had only served to delay their arrival into Jerusalem. I think from the perspective of the disciples, they were running late. Like, let's let's get to Jerusalem already. But, But from God's perspective, the timing of their arrival was no less than perfect. That next day is how our passage begins. The next day, after they had... Spent time in Bethany in verses 12 and 13. That next day, the large crowd that had come into town for the Passover feast, well, they heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him. Now, to say that a large crowd went out to meet Jesus it's kind of like saying that a large crowd went to the OSU Michigan game, right? Like, we're t- <laughs> It's a huge crowd. We're talking a huge crowd of people. I mean, it's so big, a crowd, that the Pharisees are grumbling back and forth with one another in verse 19. Look, the, the whole world is going after him. What are we going to do now? Right, the whole world, there were a ton of people that were going out to meet Jesus with palm branches. And their waving of palm branches as Jesus rides toward the city on a donkey, it's significant. It means that they believe him to be a king. That's what the waving of palm branches signifies and the, the laying out of cloaks upon the road so that the one that was traveling in would not even touch the, the pathway, would walk upon the coats. So that they're treating him like he's the king. What the prophet Zechariah had declared 500 years earlier was being fulfilled right before their eyes. And John repeats that prophecy right here in verse 15. Verse 15 was foretold 500 years before this event, fear not, daughter of Zion, your king is coming on a donkey's colt. And there he is, Jesus, doing this very thing. And I think the crowd of Jews totally recognizes it. This is happening right now. We're told in verse 17 that some of the Jews in this huge crowd, well, they had recently just watched Lazarus rise from the dead. And the rest of this huge crowd, were told in 18, they wanted to lay eyes on the one who'd raised Lazarus. There's a lot of hubbub. Could this really be the Messiah? Could this be the anointed one of God who would bring good news to the poor and bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom to the captive and release prisoners of darkness? Could this be him? With thousands of palm branches waving triumphantly in the air, this huge crowd begins to cry out, Hosanna. Second half of verse 13. Hosanna, Hosanna. In the Hebrew language, it's important for us to to understand that Hosanna is not simply a declaration of praise like hallelujah. Hosanna, quite literally, can be translated as, We beg you, save us. We beg you, deliver us. Hosanna, 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 come and save us. Now, it begs a question why? Why would this huge crowd surround Jesus on every side with palm branches? only to cry out for deliverance. Were they all of a sudden struck by their sinfulness and their their need for a redeemer? No. Let's put our historian caps on for a second. The year is A.D. 1. 1 A.D., first century. And ever since 587 B.C., when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had first besieged Jerusalem for 600 years, all the way up to this point in John chapter 12 in the first history, the Jews had always been someone's captive. Even right now, these Jews, well, they're living in their own land, yes, but they were still captives of Rome. This huge crowd of Jews wanted national freedom so badly they could taste it. They wanted to be delivered from Rome. And what better time for such a deliverance to come than at Passover when they were already together remembering and celebrating God's deliverance of their ancestors from Egypt. It all just makes perfect sense. Come and deliver us. Oh, and by the way, look who's coming into Jerusalem, descending from the Mount of Olives, coming in through the eastern side of the city. Look, look who it is. It's the one who just raised Lazarus from the dead, the one who is rumored to be the the Messiah. Hosanna, now's the time. Come and save us. Come and deliver us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they cry out. Even the king of Israel. Now see with me that all the fanfare of this moment has a lot of fine print at the bottom of it. The palm branches, the cloaks, being spread out along the road, this grand and royal entrance into the city of Jerusalem is all coming with very, very, very fine print at the bottom. There are conditions to the worship. And we know so because in just a few more verses, in verses 32 through 43 of this very chapter, Jesus ends up explaining to this very crowd That he had come to Jerusalem to be lifted up, but not in the way that they were wanting. They wanted him, they wanted their Jesus, to be lifted up on a throne. They wanted him to make war against their Roman oppressors. They wanted him to restore national independence and autonomy. But in just a few verses, just a few verses after this passage that is loaded with fanfare, Jesus explains to them that he would be lifted up on a cross. And it is not what this crowd wants to hear. In just a few days, a few days after the palm branches, they drop their palm branches and they pick up pitchforks They go from crying out, save us, save us, to kill him, kill him, kill him. Why? Why? Why such a quick turnaround? Look at all this fanfare in this particular passage. It's beautiful. What a triumphant welcome. Well, if Jesus was not going to give them what they wanted, what use was he? Years ago, a childhood friend of mine named Zach, he called me up and he asked to meet with me in a total panic. After years of poorer decisions, his marriage was in serious trouble and he wanted to meet with me because he wanted Jesus's help now. And I mean, if anyone can heal a marriage, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is in the business of mending what is broken. He is in the business of bringing beauty from our ashes. But He is not in the business of merely putting a band-aid on our messy situations. We so often want Him to just slap a quick band-aid on something and make it go away. He is not in that business. He is in the business of taking a scalpel to our, our sinful hearts healing us from the outs or the inside out. As I explained to my friend Zach that a truly healed marriage would not happen without his personal submission to the lordship of Jesus, as I explained that, you could see his expression change. I could tell right then and there, we were in a restaurant eating some wings. I could just tell right then and there, that if Jesus wasn't going to give him what he wanted, when he wanted it, and how he wanted it, if Jesus wasn't going to work on his terms, he wasn't all that interested in Jesus at all. My friend Zach, at the beginning of our message or meeting, was practically waving a palm branch, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, come in and deliver me from this come and save me, come and deliver me. And then as the meeting progressed, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not simply going to clean up the mess that I've made with my own poor decisions. You're not gonna do that for me, then I'm out of here. You're no king to me. His was fanfare with fine print and I am just as guilty of it in my life. I think that we're all, when we're honest, guilty of this in one way or another. We can think through our our, our minds prayerfully. How many times have you and I come to Jesus expecting him to give us something that he has never promised to give us, right? Come and save me by cleaning up this mess that I've made all on my own. I mean, if you know your Bible, you know that the Jews... They didn't get into this mess on uh, just b- b- by happenstance. <laughs> they had rebelled against God for centuries, and the Lord gave them into hands of, of oppressors. Oh, but make it go away, make it go away. 1 Peter 2.20 explains to us, it opens up a category of thought, I should say. In 1 Peter 2.20, we learn that you and I can and should expect earthly consequences for our sin. Jesus isn't in the business of just coming in and wiping that all away, wiping our nose and putting a band-aid on it. No, there are real consequences we have to live with and deal with and work through. And it's important for us to recognize it. How many, has, how, how many of us have cried out, you know, come and save me, Jesus, by, by giving me this exact thing, this particular job, this particular status. I want this particular relationship or this particular thing. Give me what I want, when I want, and how I want. Come and save me and deliver me in that way, right? Fanfare with fine print. How about this? Come and save me. This is our culture right now. Come and save me, Jesus, by affirming me. Let me hold on to and even identify with all my temptations. Just endorse me for who I am. Let me call myself a gay Christian and and maintain that. Let me call myself a trans Christian and maintain that. Heck, let me call myself an alcoholic Christian and simply maintain that. Just come and deliver me by affirming me and telling me I'm good right as I am. Never mind Matthew 16, 24 through 26 when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How about this? Jesus, come and save me by giving me, restore to me perfect health. I just want to feel great. Come and deliver me and save me. I'm going to worship you with this palm branch. I'm going to cry out. But Lord, I want you to give me something. Remember Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, 8? He had a thorn in his flesh. There was some sort of ailment. And he pleaded three times with the Lord about that thorn in his flesh. And I love what the Lord says to him My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is made perfect when you're weak. It's one thing to make requests, and we should. We should come to Jesus and to lay out, look, I personally have not felt well this week. Lord, please, stretch out your hand and I would welcome your healing, but I am not owed it. If you're willing, if you're willing, and if not, I know that you are going to strengthen my steps. You're gonna be with me. The amount of fine print that humans, that Christians tend to add to our praise, it really just, it sets a tone. It it, it reveals just this inner, I'll just speak for myself, an inner entitlement that I carry around with myself, an inner arrogance. And it makes the glory of the cross all the more glorious that Jesus would continue even through all the fine print. He continued his triumphal entry. He continued his course to the cross, where he died as a sinner, bearing the sins of all of his people. It just makes—it's astounding to me. I think it's Paul who's—you know—for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, right? I, and I'm not righteous, but Jesus did that, and for for me and for and for you. And so here's, the, here's kind of the, of the last couple of notes. What Jesus does not promise this crowd as he enters and what he does not promise to us is to give us everything we want when we want it and how we want it. It's not, the point of this is not giving us what we most want. It's in fact giving us what we most need is what we see Jesus doing. We see We see his persistence to ride this donkey right into the heart of Jerusalem, to spend a few days of this holy week in Jerusalem in preparation for the most excruciating event the world has ever known, bearing the weight and the sin of all God's people for all time being hung upon a cross, and we're gonna, we're gonna really focus in on that, Lord, Lord willing, come Good Friday, this coming Friday. But, but being hung on a cross and, and having the Father pour out his, his wrath upon Jesus, who was the object of, of all of our sinfulness. He maintains his composure, sitting upon this donkey, triumphantly riding into the city, Prepared to endure all that is coming. It's just astounding. And so let me just go ahead and encourage this because maybe some of us are wondering, well, okay, so, you know, Jesus doesn't promise to clean up all of our messes that we've made and he doesn't promise to just give us exactly what we want when we want how we want. He doesn't promise to just affirm us and give us perfect health. No, none of these things, but Jesus does promise to give us Salvation, forgiveness, and freedom forever from the penalty and power of our sin. Jesus promises us eternal life beginning right now for all who by faith draw near. And simply say, yes, I believe you are the Son of God who came and lived and died and rose to bring me near, to forgive me, to atone for my sin and to reconcile me with God forever. Jesus promises eternal life to you. John 4, 14. Jesus promises, I love this promise, that all things, even a triumphal entry such as this, all things are being worked out for our good. Romans 8:28. Man, if you're struggling today, if you come in here with a limp. Come in here, filled with doubts and concerns and worries and anxieties. What a promise to hang our hats on that Jesus he, he promises, his word, Romans 8:28, that all things are being worked out for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Jesus promises comfort in our trials. And peace when we pray, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Comfort, real, tangible comfort in the right now he promises us. And peace when we pray. What a motivator to constantly draw near to the throne of grace to receive peace. Jesus promises that he will supply our true and deepest needs, Philippians 4, 19. Not all of our wants. And it's easy to get those categories mixed up. Oh, Jesus, I need this. No, 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 you want that. But Jesus will. What you truly, deeply need, he promises to provide. Hallelujah. Jesus promises us new and abundant life. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. For salvation in Jesus is the beginning of a brand new existence. For all of those who are in Christ, it may not feel like it right now, but the old has gone and behold, the new has come. Jesus promises to hold us securely and to finish the work that he has started in us. We see this in John 10, 28 and Philippians 1, verse six. Jesus promises that he will return for us that there will be another moment of Hosanna. And we're crying it right now. Oh Lord, come and deliver us, come and save us. It's coming. Jesus promises that he will return. And in fact, our benediction passage uh, a bit later is from Revelation and and the scene is, is with a multitude from every tribe and nation of the world crying out with palm branches in their hands. It's going to happen all over again. There are many more promises that we can and should focus on that have been made to us in God's word. But the point of all of it is this, whomever you are, all of the promises that your soul really yearns for, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. If you know Jesus and are known by Jesus, then you have it, you have it. And the Lord will show up in those spaces of your deepest need. When you're deeply anxious and worried and wondering about the next step. And that's all of us to some degree this morning. And the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you're at. Cry out, Hosanna, deliver me, save me, remind me, Jesus, that you're with me. That you will not leave me or forsake me. And that you will carry me through this storm. You will provide for my need. He really will do it. He really will do it. And so that is the simple message for this uh, very triumphant Palm Sunday that we celebrate and look back on Jesus' faithful entry. When the crowd was lifting up fanfare with all the fine print in the world, we do that too. And our prayer should be, oh, Holy Spirit. It's a very simple prayer this morning, a very simple lesson. Reveal to me in my heart the many, many ways that I'm tagging on, all these, this fine print, expecting you to fulfill promises you've never made to me, Lord. Would you just be my God and I, your son or your daughter, satisfy and fulfill. Let's, let's pray. We'll continue uh, to, to, to worship the Lord. Well, Jesus, I'm gonna direct this prayer directly at you once more. And I just wanna thank you again. I praise you and thank you you truly are a king and you truly did ride into Jerusalem although not on a war horse, you came on a donkey of peace because you were there not to wage war against those that were going to crucify you, you were there to lay your life down and to be lifted up not on a throne such as you are now but to be lifted up on a cross. It's a a sobering week this holy week and i just praise you and thank you for your faithfulness your obedience um, and for the fact that you are king you are indeed coming again and we've got palm branches in our hands right now lord come come and save us come and deliver us worthy and wonderful king jesus we pray amen